and welcome to our Four for Q4, a podcast series where we take a closer look at four key themes that we think will be crucial for the rest of the year. I'm John Briggs, Global Head of Death Strategy. In this episode, I'm joined by Ross Walker, our co-head of Global Economics and Chief UK Economist, Giovanni Zani, our Chief European Economist, and Kevin Cummins, our Chief US Economist. We'll be taking a closer look at the growth outlook for the balance of the year, but not just through the lens of the Delta variant, but I'll be asking the team whether they agree with the popular notion of fiscal cliff, where government, where government spending is declining, providing a headwind to growth to varying degrees by country to country. Let's go global first before we get into that. So Ross, your role as co-head of global economics, paint a broad picture for us. We did a big review of our global outlook back in June, but since then, there's been a lot of worries out there around Delta-related slowdowns. Can you update us on where we are and where we are versus consensus and maybe some of the headline risks that you see? Yes. Uh, during the pandemic, we, we've had a, an above consensus set of forecasts, and they were certainly vindicated in, in 2020. Um, and, and as of today, again, we're half a percentage point, a percentage point above consensus for 2021 GDP. Uh, we, we have had to trim our US numbers slightly. Uh, some evidence that consumer demand was fading at the back end of Q2. But in general, uh, we, we have a, a positive outlook. Certainly the US labor market continues to look quite buoyant. Um, we're seeing some recovery in, in wage growth. So the US where you, know, you had less restrictive uh, COVID measures um, has, you know, is, is, is sustaining a, a fairly healthy rate of growth. We, of course, have a huge fiscal stimulus there. Go across the Atlantic, the UK and the Euro area both had difficult first quarters, though I think what was interesting with the lockdowns that they were far less disruptive to the overall economy uh, than the first uh, pandemic, first wave of, of, of lockdowns in 2020. The economies became more adept, I think, at functioning within those restrictions. And so we saw a combination of, of smaller falls in GDP in the first quarter of this year, but similarly robust pickups in the second quarter. And certainly for the Eurozone perspective, you know, we actually think Q3 will see faster growth than in Q2. For the UK, we, we see a slight moderation. But overall, growth rates, I think, remain strong in any absolute sense. We are probably past the peak. And I think some indicators are signaling some deterioration in momentum, but not to rates that would cause undue alarm. And as I say, overall, the bigger picture remains one of an ongoing recovery with, with steady growth. Thanks, Ross. All right, Gio, I want to drill in a little bit more to the specific subject of this webinar, which is the push and pull between waning fiscal stimulus, which is a very popular theme now pulling into this, you know, peak growth, peak developed world growth, but also even so much emerging markets. But, you know, from your perspective, you've made the argument that consumption and the savings buffer, on the other hand, is underappreciated. You know, the latter is not as a popular theme as this idea that, you know, facing this fiscal cliff and less, you know, fiscal spending. So I know you're passionate about this, so I'm going to start with you. So why do you think the consensus isn't thinking about this the right way? Well, thanks, John. I, I, I think you're right in saying that, you know, for me, there's a fundamental link between fiscal supports and the saving ratio dynamics uh, over the past year or so. And often when you see comment, uh, uh, comments on that, uh, it seems that, uh, you know, th th there's, a, there's a lack of understanding that 
the high savings that we've seen are because you had so many subsidies and also the fact that you couldn't spend this money. So you can do the usual one-to-one -one relation between fiscal support in one year and consumption activity in the same year. Uh, just because, as I said, the fiscal boost wasn't spent, it was saved, uh, and as such, its impact, it's, it's delayed. Uh, and if you want, the, the saving ratio represents a kind of fiscal support waiting to happen. So um, in this context, I think that talking about the fiscal cliff is uh, misguided. Because it's true that the fiscal deficits, uh, after having increased uh, a lot and remaining quite high, uh, is now expected to kind of stabilize this year and then decrease quite significantly in the US, but also uh, in, in the euro area. But as I said, at the same time, if you look at the saving ratio, uh, it was still at more than 20% in Q1 in, in Europe and in the US. We don't have the data for Q2 in, in Europe, but we have them in the US. They were down to 10%, so very large decrease in the saving ratio. I think that we will see something similar in Q2 and in Q3 as well uh, in the Euro area, just because you, know, you had all these reopenings, activities normalizing, we see all these indicators of mobility that are, are going back to almost uh, normal. And that's really what I would say uh, kind of normalization in terms of flows of savings. And then you have all the accumulated stock that was created during the pandemic because of this uh, situation that I described of uh, so much money uh, given to households, uh, etc. So if we look at the specifics of the so-called uh, um, fiscal cliff, you can see that, for example, for, for the US, you have a deficit in structural terms according to the IMF, that goes from minus 12, minus 13, 2020, 2021, to minus six. So you have like a six, seven points of fiscal cliff. In Europe, it goes from minus five to uh, minus three, again, according to the IMF. So you have a, a smaller fiscal cliff, but it's still, you know, it, it will be defined as a fiscal cliff in normal times. But then you take all these numbers and, and, and you add all the uh, savings numbers that are much bigger than that, or, or at least uh, as big as that for, for the US, but well, let's say bigger. And in Europe, on top of that, you also have the recovery fund that is also helping on the fiscal side with some uh, like below the line kind of fiscal support. So, you know, you have a situation that in reality doesn't shouldn't be discussed as a fiscal cliff, but should be discussed as a kind of more gentle passing of the baton, if you want, uh, from fiscal policy to its uh, kind of delayed incarnation in the form of these uh, you know, private savings that are normalizing and even with some drawdowns from the pandemic accumulated uh, savings. So that's why, I mean, um, yeah, it's not that I'm, I'm I'm not worried about anything. There are other risks, but definitely this one, I don't think, should be you know, the forefront of uh, any discussion for, for growth, for, for risk on growth in, in Europe and in the US as well. I like how you put that, you're passing the baton. And also, you know, again, that, that 
you look at the flows as one thing or sequentially, but remember the stock of savings is something I think is also not particularly looked at. Now you mentioned this a little bit, just staying with Europe before I move on to Kevin in the US. Um, you know, you mentioned the recovery fund. So remind us, just because it seems like it's been a long time since all the announcements and things, how is what's the timing on some of the flows for the recovery fund funds to be coming in? As you say, it's below the line, but you know, how do you see that playing out? Okay, so the recovery fund is, you know, has a size of around 5% uh, of, of GDP, of your era GDP, and roughly half of it is through grants, which are really the, the relevant component, and it goes to countries like in the southern of Europe and Eastern Europe, essentially. So it's, it's, it's something that will have an impact through the years, but it has already started. So the first big disbursement took place 10 days ago, a week ago, uh, to Italy, and it was uh, of uh, 22 billion, I think. So 22 billion is one point something of Italian GDP. It's 1.3% of Italian GDP. So it, it's, it, it, it's, it's significant. It's significant and it's happening now. And it will continue to happen because when I say that it's uh, 5% of which 2.5% uh, uh, in grants, the reality is this is concentrated on the countries that you know, need the fiscal boost more and are, I think, able to grow more and have grown less in the past years. And I mentioned Italy, and clearly that's uh, one of the key uh, part of the story. And I would say it's also reflected indirectly through the numbers that we had today in terms of the uh, PMIs, because uh, PMIs were still strong in Europe, slightly down. But if you look at uh, the composition it showed that the uh, non-German, non-France, so the the, the, the periphery, uh, reached a 21-year high this month in terms of activity. So it means that it's going through the system, and uh, that the, the fiscal boost is still there where it matters. Great. All right, now Kevin for the U.S. How do you see the dynamics Geo discussed playing out? Of course, you know, we don't have the recovery fund. We have the unfortunate for you at this time, the uncertainty about these new fiscal programs, the infrastructure bill and Biden's 3.5 trillion budget about whether that's going to hit. But if we put all of that aside, given what we already know, do you tend to agree with him regarding, you know, this stock of savings argument? Yeah, in, in general, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, uh, the near term, uh, consumption dynamics seem to probably be a little bit softer than what we had expected, you know, earlier this year. Um, so we've marked down the third quarter, for instance, on consumption. Um, it's still very strong at about five and a half percent or so uh, for the quarter as a whole. And there may be some downside risk to that given the latest retail sales data. Um, but I think over the longer term, you know, things like uh, very strong uh, job formation and this, you know, a lot of a lot left in the tank for spending later this year because of such an elevated saving rate and accumulated savings throughout the pandemic really uh, allow for us to be pretty optimistic over the longer term with regard to GDP. It's just in the near term, as Ross mentioned, it, it seems like the momentum has faded a little bit. You know, we did get a lot of fiscal stimulus with the economic payments that went directly to households and went on and spend it in the third, in the second quarter, we saw consumption of, you know, double digit consumption. And, and it may not be sustainable at that pace in the next couple of quarters, but I think 
over the longer term, we're still very optimistic on growth. You know, trend growth in, in the U.S. is somewhere probably, probably around 2% or so. And we're still looking at around 7% this year and probably somewhere around 3 or so percent next year. So we're still, you know, going to grow very solidly. And, and a lot of that has to do with the, you know, accumulative savings is going to likely to keep consumption stronger than it otherwise would be. The saving rate, uh, as Gio mentioned, has come down pretty dramatically in the second quarter as as consumption really picked up. But um, I think the nice transition from the baton in the U.S. is that we're starting with the reopening, seeing very strong employment growth. So that's going to keep uh, income formation uh, a more traditional role rather than relying necessarily on government support that, you know, the, the recovery is likely to be sustained mainly because of wage and salary growth um, of probably somewhere north of 8% this year and above 5% or so next year. And that's likely to keep consumption growth growing at a really solid pace into next year. Great. All right. So still on track in the U.S. Now, lastly, Ross, putting on your other hat of U.K. economists, in a few years, the government's actually penciled in fiscal tightening. Is the U.K. the fiscal hawk in the room? It might be, but I I think these uh, these these spending plans and taxation plans for a, a modest fiscal tightening in the, the 2023 financial year um, could yet be delayed or diluted by a possible election that year. Uh, I think it certainly makes sense. It, it's good policy for the government to to signal to the wider population that uh, some fiscal tightening will be required uh, somewhere down the line. Um, we have a still substantial fiscal stimulus in the current year, uh, around 6% of GDP. It diminishes next year, but not radically. And then, as I say, in 2023, there are some net um, fiscal measures that bring about a modest tightening, about half a percent of GDP. But that could, that could yet be delayed if we move to a general election in, in 2023. Okay, good to know. I'm a little skeptical myself that in this post-pandemic era, we're going to see much fiscal tightening. Sure, sequentially, perhaps, savings to offset it for now, but I don't think governments are ever going to get back to full austerity. But as you say, we'll see. Elections can make a big change on that front. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. We're out of time for today. So we're going to be addressing the other side of the coin, inflation, in a subsequent part of the series. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Four for Q4. Make sure you check out the NatWest Corporates Institution's YouTube channel for other episodes in this series. Remember to hit subscribe so you can listen to the latest episodes, as well as our other podcasts from NatWest Markets team as soon as they're available. Bye for now. <laughs>